Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unfolding Sharp Corners, a podcast creating a community space to discuss all the taboo topics we're told not to talk about. I'm Barthi Rupani, and this is my co-host. Hi, everyone. I'm Sherry Arathachin. And in each episode, we'll be unfolding a sharp taboo topic, exploring a variety of perspectives, and finding a new relationship to it. All right, let's get started. Hi, everyone. Hi, Barthi. Hi, Heidi. Hi. Hi. How are you, ladies? So (laughs) I'm super excited. We have um, Heidi Brito here with us today. Um, So... For those of you that don't know already, I have a second podcast. This is Barthi speaking. And that podcast, um, I co-host with Haiti Brito. Um, and we we just literally drink and discuss. <laughs> just <laughs> anyhow. Um, so Haiti, why don't you just tell us, a, you know, everyone a little bit about yourself and the topic that you'll be talking to us about. Sure. So thank you both for having me on. Yes. I'm super excited. I'm a little nervous, but also super excited. (laughs) So I'm a human, Um, (laughs) a woman, a wife, a mom of two very energetic um, preschoolers. And um, I'm also co-host of the Boozy Brunch podcast. My background is in special education. I spent a little over 15 years in that field, special education and behavior analysis. Um, I absolutely loved it. It was super satisfying, but it was also very tolling, like physically tolling and also emotionally tolling. So um, once I kind of settled into um, being a wife and a mom, I looked for other, other options of things to do outside of education. And I've been outside of that field for maybe six years now. So my husband and I um, are um, business owners. We work primarily from home. Um, and I am also a first generation um, oldest daughter immigrant <laughs> of an immigrant family. Yeah. And what I'm going to be talking about today uh, revolves around that role that, you know, that I play in in life and losing my dad at a very young age. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad died when I was 20. I have three siblings. Um, My sister, Elizabeth, who is about three and a half years younger than me, then there's Maria and she's five years. Um, No, maybe she's, she's eight and a half years younger. She and Elizabeth are five years apart. And then my brother, Manny, who's the youngest, and he is 12 years younger than me. So pretty big age gaps. Um, and I was the oldest of the bunch when my dad died, I was 20 years old. My mom was younger than I am today. Wow. And my dad died. Mm. My parents have been married 20 plus years. Um, I want to say it was like 23 ish or so. Um, and she had been with him since she was a teenager Mm -hmm. and it was absolutely devastating for her. I mean, it was devastating for the whole family, but especially for her not having known like her entire adult life was my dad. Right. I can't even believe that it was that long ago. Um, Just hearing you describe it. It's just like, wow, it's already been 22 years. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I, uh, last year was that threshold where, you know, I had spent more years without my dad than with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, being the, the oldest child of an immigrant, um, or immigrant parents, especially the oldest daughter, uh, especially the oldest daughter of multiple children. <laughs> That's a very, very specific role. And I can only imagine how your role shifted once your father passed away. But why don't you just tell everyone like what's so sharp about this topic and what's so taboo about this topic? So, I, I mean, I think you, you kind of pointed to it being the oldest out of um, out of four, you know, with such big age gaps and from an immigrant family, the role and the expectation, especially being the oldest daughter, like there's very marked differences between the role of the oldest son and the role of the oldest daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's like that for everyone, but it's definitely like that for, you know, Dominican families. And you know, the, the oldest daughter or the, you know, daughters in general, but the oldest daughter is expected to be like the example for her siblings. And, um, you are almost handed off this, um, parenting role, like pseudo parent, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like you're in parenting roles at some points in your life. Like I remember being a teenager and being the person who dropped my brother off at, at, um, preschool or, daycare he was like two or three at the time um you know the people at the daycare thought I was his parent right and I was 15 16 years old dropping him off at school but that's those are some of the expectations that that you have as um you know the first firstborn child or the oldest child um and then there's a bunch of other things like that, you know, like the the role that you have in the household, you're expected to learn to do certain things. Um, my mom and my dad, you know, they had three daughters before they finally got their son, which, <laughs> which is like a big deal in, in, in Latin American families. I don't know if, if it's like that in other, yes. you know, like another community. Oh, too. Yes. <laughs> so... <laughs> For a very long time, I actually felt like my relationship with my dad was more like father son because he Mm -hmm. wanted to teach Mm -hmm. me a lot of the things Mm -hmm. that he would have taught, you know, a son. So like he wanted to teach me how to um, do things with my car. He wanted to teach me how to get around with a map like back then when I was a teenager, (laughs) there were no GPSs. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you know, using a roadmap, those kinds of things that you would share with a son, you know, like my dad and I had that that relationship. I don't even know that I I don't even know that I answered your question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm relating to what you're saying so yeah. much, though. Like, I don't have siblings. I'm an only child, but I had and so I don't have the caretaker role of younger siblings. But I feel like there is this caretaking expectation of daughters Mm -hmm. but then also you know I learned a lot of son stereotypical son things Mm -hmm. as as a from from my dad you know like the car mowing the lawn like all the 
you know, there's parts of me, I'm like, I think I was raised half as a boy and half as a girl, which <laughs> makes sense, I guess. But yeah, yeah. I relate yeah. to so much. Yeah, I definitely, um, Haiti and I, we've obviously, we've known each other for many, many years now since, um, you know, we were children. Yes. <laughs> <when> we met. <laughs> um, but uh, you, you and I have spoken at great lengths about this. Yes, the oldest daughter falls into this caretaking role. And um, especially when it comes to caretaking with the younger siblings, and you kind of touched on that already with, with how you took care of Manny and taking him to pre-K yeah. and picked him up. Um, I have definitely, I, I remember things like that <laughs> from my own childhood um, or from my own youth, like having to do similar things with my sisters as well. Yeah. So there's definitely that, you know, that care caretaker role, which mm-hmm. kind of brings me back to your question of what is sharp about this for me is that when my dad died, I stepped into a caretaker role, not just for my siblings, but also for my mom, yeah. because she was in such a state of like distraught, like so, so much grief that she could barely do she could barely do the bare minimum to just get herself through Mm. through the day um you know and even though like when my dad died he was he was the only um provider at the time so he was the only person working in the household and my mom had to figure out and go to work and she could get herself through that because she had no like that's just what she had to do. Like she had to go to work, but she would come home and like, there was this sadness. It was like a blanket of sadness over her that just never went away. And it lasted for years, you know? And I, I almost felt like there was no space for me to grieve the loss of my dad because I had to be strong for my siblings You know, I had to be strong for my mom, like my grieving, my grieving happened when I was alone. My Mm -hmm. grieving happened on my drives to school or my drives to work or, you know, when I was sitting alone in the car. Um, And it wasn't that anybody at home was saying, oh, you can't do that. It was more that I I wouldn't allow myself that because I had to step into this role of, you know, caretaker and... Like, I remember when my dad died, one of the things that I thought first was, oh, my God, all of the things that my my sister Maria, who was 12, and my brother Manny, who was seven at the time, like all of the things that I got to experience with him that they're going to miss out on. Mm-hmm. So many layers of grief, you know, yeah. for so many others and yourself. And it sounds like it's here now, too. <laughs> Yeah. How is it? Is this sharpness present you know, today in, in your life now? So I think there's a couple of things. One of them is my relationship with my mom. Mm-hmm. Because I stepped into, and it wasn't just me, it was me and my sister Elizabeth, who was also, you know, a little older. She was 16 at the time. Um, you know, we both had to step into, like, we needed to. Sp- get jobs so we could help financially. 
Um, and then we stepped into that parenting slash caretaker roles for my siblings um, and also for my mom. And that kind of shifted the relationship from parent to child. Mm-hmm. Like I felt maybe this wasn't true, but I felt like I could no longer rely on my mom to be the parent mm. because she was in like in such a state of grief yeah that i had to step up um and i think that that's still holds true in the way that i interact with her sometimes like my siblings will call me on this all the time they're like you talk to mom like you're the parent <laughs> and she you know and she's your kid and i think that had a lot to do with it Mm-hmm. And the other thing is my relationship with my younger siblings. I do like the way that I interact with them and I do address them as if I'm their parent. Right. And I feel like I have a level of responsibility to them more as a parent than I do as a sister, especially with my younger brother. Yeah. I feel like these are the like there's so many layers here, gender, there's like being child of immigrants and the, the like responsibility that you take on at such a young age. Um, and still like, you know, have to go out in the world and go to school and go get a job and, and mm-hmm. you know, just keep living. And um, I wonder like about, you know, how, um, and you can always say, I don't want to go there, you know, but I'm curious <laughs> about grief and, and time and space for you to have that grief um, after that. Have you had that? Uh, yes and no. I I mean, just now talking about it, I feel like I ha- I'm having a hard time just managing my emotions. And, you know, I don't want to <laughs> get on your podcast and break down crying you can though you know that like you can (laughs) but you know some things are still very 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 sharp and my dad died almost 22 years ago Mm. some some things feel like wow that like I don't I don't think I don't know I wouldn't have wanted to experience that like One of the things that I remember, like, I don't remember everything very clearly, but I remember my dad died very unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a a vehicular accident. He was, um, he drove a step van, um, which is like a small, like, it looks like a, Mm -hmm. like the mail delivery truck. Mm -hmm. Um, And he delivered Weiss potato chips to Mm -hmm. different, um, different businesses. And I remember we had to drive to the scene of the accident. And when he, when we drove there, I, I went with my mom and two of my uncles. I, I don't remember exactly who was in the car, but I remember it was me and my mom and, you know, two or three other um, adult males in the family. Um, and I remember that we drove to the scene of the, of the accident and my dad was still like, his body hadn't been removed from from the from the you know from the truck and I remember that we pulled up as close as we could get because there were police cars blocking it and my mom just kept saying 
that, you know, she just wanted to get close so she could touch him while he was still warm. So I feel like I, I've had times to grieve on my own, but I, I wish, I wish that I, I could have grieved together with my mom more. And that didn't happen because, you know, I, like I said before, I just didn't, I didn't allow that for myself because whenever I got home, I felt like, no, I need to, I need to be the strong person here because clearly she's not in a place where she could be that person. So, you know, that those, those kind of things like still come back now and then. And, and it feels like it just happened yesterday, even though it was almost 22 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that, um, comes to you know comes to mind for me is that it's almost as if you know when you're in that role of the oldest daughter of an immigrant family um you're kind of primed to step into the caretaker role right away and in that moment like it was you know like the 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 response was okay, I got to get shit done. That that was it. Like there was no opportunity for you to be a kid anymore. And like, because you had already, um, there was something already like inside of you that was like, this is how the role is. And this mm-hmm. is what I have to do. That was the response, immediate response without like getting a minute to be like, well, you know, that was my dad too be a kid yeah yeah no that's that's pretty accurate um you know I think after like after the services and and that kind of stuff was done it was like okay I like that that part is over now so Mm -hmm. time to like step up and move into this new role for my siblings yeah I'm curious about, you know, today in your day-to-day life as you um, go about your work and and living and caring for your family, you know, um, what might be shifting or changing or moving in a new direction? Um, I think... One of the things that I'm trying to get better at is forgiving myself for putting that on, like, putting that blame on my mom of my inability to grieve because it wasn't anything she did. It was my response to how she was grieving and forgiving, you know, forgiving myself for doing that because it really has affected my relationship with her. Um, so that we can have a better mother-daughter relationship so that I don't feel like the caretaker. And, and I'm saying that as, mm-hmm. as she's getting older and knowing mm-hmm. that, you know, inevitably as she gets older, I'm going to have to step into that caretaker role again. Um, but 
I don't know. I, I honestly, I think one of the things that that I'm very grateful for, even like as I think back on on how painful my dad dying was, were that we had so many amazing, vivid memories as kids with him and and us as a family. And those are some of the things that I try to do for my own children, you know, try to do things that will leave imprints in their life. If I'm not around or if I die sooner than I would like to. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm really curious, like, I guess there's a, it's like a two part question. Like, what led you to like recognize that you were kind of um and i don't want to i don't think you were blaming her her for this but um for lack of better words like what was that moment or that realization that you had when you were you realized like i'm blaming my mother for my lack of grieving because I had to step into a different role. And did anything shift when you had that realization? So I think it's a, it's kind of been a process, Mm -hmm. you know, like a multiple part process of coming to that recognition and then also wanting to shift the relationship with my mom. So I think part of it has been my own personal growth and becoming more insightful part of it has been realizing that, wow, my mom was younger than I am today when my dad Mm -hmm. died and she had no nothing else. Like her grief was very justified. I mean, I think about losing my husband and we've only been married for six years Mm -hmm. and I can't even imagine like what my life would be like. So my mom was faced with that reality way earlier than it than than it would be if it were me right now right after having spent more than half her life with with that person yeah so I think it was it's been that realizing that and then also realizing that nobody else is responsible for how you respond to what's going on around you and if nobody else is responsible then nobody else can change it only you can right so that and the desire to have a better relationship with my mom. Mm -hmm. How have you reclaimed some of that for yourself? Um, I think I allow myself moments of grief when they come. Mm -hmm. Um, And know that I don't have to justify them. I don't have to tell anybody that I'm justified for grieving my dad, even though it's been, you know, 20 something years. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's the biggest thing. Just allowing myself to, to have those moments of grief when they do come. Mm-hmm. What do you feel like um, gives you or has given you the courage to stay with the grief or to face 
this shifting relationship with your mom, what, what moves you? What gives you that courage? My own children and what I want my relationship with them to be. Um, and what, you know, what I want to model for them. Yeah. Where would you say, like, how, how is this, how is this shifting relationship with your mom, the shifting relationship to grief, how is it showing up as, as you mother and be a parent and, um, yeah, how's that showing up? Um, I think the, so the relationship with my mom is still a work in progress. <laughs> um, and, you know, it probably always is going to be. But definitely becoming a mom made me more aware of, of all of the things that were, I guess, broken in my relationship with my mom. And you know, like I said before, they were kind of like the drive to to shift that that relationship. It, it's just wild to me that this all still feels so heavy. Mm. I mean, I, <laughs> I just it it it's also unexpected. I didn't. Mm. You know, yeah, I didn't expect it to feel this heavy. Yeah, my favorite uh, researchers around the body and its wisdom talks about emotions. Her name is Emily Nagoski, and she talks about emotions as tunnels, and we have to go through them. Like that, that, and if you don't, they're just waiting. They're waiting for you to go through them, and that, that, like, uh. And it's totally like protective and smart not to always go through them just head first because it is painful. But like the, it makes, I guess from, you know, it, it makes sense from the body perspective of that the impact of grief and how we hold it and how it's still there in our bodies. Like time doesn't mm. change it, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I know you mentioned that the the relationship with your mother is like kind of like a work in progress, but and you also mentioned that once you became a mother, um, that's when you started to shift it and realize things. I'm curious, again, another two-part question, so I apologize. <laughs> so the first thing I'm curious about is, did you did you talk to your mother about it? And um, if you did, like, you know, what was, what was that moment of courage like that, you know what, I'm going to just address this with her and, like, be open about it with her? So my mom and I have actually never directly mm -hmm. spoken about 
our relationship and how I feel about how it's shifted and my thoughts on why it shifted. And we've never had that direct conversation, but I want to say it was last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Last year on her mother's day card, I remember I wrote her something about, you know, how now that I'm a mom, I, I know everything that, that she has experienced and everything that she has done for us and everything that, that she would be willing to do for, for her children, because I've had the same experience. Mm. And I don't think it was in those exact words, but that's probably as close as I've come to, to, to telling my mom, like, I, I forgive me for for the way that our relationship has turned out Mm -hmm. I forgive you for the things that I may have done differently as a mom Mm -hmm. if I were in your place um at the end of the day our parents can only do the best that they know how to do yeah so placing blame on them or pointing a finger at them for what our life as adults is doesn't it doesn't yield anything mm-hmm. yeah yeah there's like um it, yeah there's so much uh truth to that like that moment that you realize that your parents are also people mm-hmm. hold them in such high regard and i'm not saying that we shouldn't but at the end of the day they're they're also just people trying to like live yep and trying to do their best as parents Mm -hmm. you know i mean that's that's all i'm trying to do as a mom and that's hard as hell (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so when i think about it from that perspective like how overwhelming it is to be a mom sometimes Mm -hmm. then i can be more forgiving about my thoughts on my own mom Mm -hmm. yeah Um, we've talked about quite a few things, but I'm curious about, you know, for anyone that's listening, what, what would you tell them about your start to unfolding some of this for yourself? I would tell them to allow themselves their moments of grief and to exhume other people of responsibility for not taking them if they choose not to. Yeah. And uh, what else? Um, Is there, is there anything that, we've talked, we haven't talked about um, anything that we haven't touched so far that you'd really like to share with um, our listeners. Um, I don't know. I feel, I feel like I've, I've <laughs> unloaded so much. <laughs> I'm curious I don't know. about 
I'm curious about, you know, what, a, what about being an immigrant or being a child of immigrant in this experience, right? So if, if let's say someone wasn't and they lost their spouse at a young age and they weren't an immigrant or child of immigrants, what is it, what's the layer that gets added on because there is a, there's a layer of being an immigrant to this country? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's the level of expectation. I think, you know, like I said earlier, it's you are the oldest of four and you're 20 years old. So you're already an adult. I mean, I think about my 20 year old niece and Mm -hmm. she might as well be 12. Like she, yes, she's very smart and independent, but she relies on her parents for a lot of things, but it's that sense that you now have to step into this new role Mm -hmm. so you're and nobody's telling you that like nobody's demanding like nobody's demanding that with words Mm -hmm. but there's this like unspoken expectation Mm -hmm. from you know immediate and extended family alike that you're going to step into this role yeah I'm it's interesting that there's the expectation from immediate and extended family because my thoughts were going to this had happened to my family what's the difference if they were for example in India versus here and the thought that came to me was a support system in 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 my culture of just everybody like aunts and uncles galore um, Mm -hmm. to help um you know, and sort of the, depending on where you live and what community you live in, sometimes the isolation of living here. Like I can, I'm trying to imagine if this had been for the case for my family, you know, here in the U.S. I don't know what would have happened because we don't have, we didn't, where I grew up, we didn't have too much extended family nearby. So it's interesting to hear that the pressure was also from closer relatives to so it's funny that you say that because we definitely had a a big network of support from extended family but at the end of the day everybody had to go back to their Their daily lives Mm -hmm. so you know what was left behind was you know my mom and my siblings and I so Mm -hmm. it wasn't so much that we didn't have this network of support we absolutely did but when it came down to it, the household was my mom and her four kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I imagine, I mean, not by no means am I measuring grief for other people, but like the grief that you felt in your immediate family, I'm sure it was very different than the grief that was felt in your dad's family or your mother's family. Um, when he passed, um, d- siblings grieve siblings differently than a, a child grieves their father. Um, it's, it's just a totally different ball game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is. And especially, you know, I, I don't know, I think as adult siblings with their mm-hmm. own 
you know, lives, their own mm-hmm. children and, and significant others and jobs and, you know, whatever right. else going on that they have to keep going. Right. Yeah. Um, but I really like the, <laughs> I, I want to, um, Sherry, you reminded me of something when you asked the question. I want to come back to that, that idea of like being the oldest of an immigrant, being the oldest daughter of an immigrant family, first generation, first to go to college, first to do all of these things. Um, you were like basically primed and set up to step into this role. So like giving yourself forgiveness for that too, that like, this is like, like, this is how it was set up. <laughs> you know, the, It wasn't anything that you did or your mother did that activated this, right? It, it really was like, you were just set up this way. I mean, you were already taking care of your, your younger siblings before um, this happened. Yeah. Like it wasn't even, it wasn't even a thought or a question in my head. It was just what I needed to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I know this is a slightly different than, you know, your relationship with your mother, but like, how did your relationship with your siblings change? So my sister, Elizabeth, who's the one closest to me, um, she and I have always remained very close Mm -hmm. because we shared a very similar experience. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's one of the things that, you know, has helped to, to like, you know, she's one of my best friends. Um, You know, I'm also very close with my sister Maria, but I've always thought about my sister Maria and my brother Manny as the kids. In (laughs) fact, I called them the kids up until they were in their twenties you know, like they were in their twenties, still living at home. And I still called them the kids. And I, I always feel like this protective motherly, um, I I don't know if it's instinct of, or like what you would call it, but like Mm -hmm. this, you know, more of a motherly protective relationship, which is different than my relationship with Elizabeth. Right. We'll have to have you on again just to talk, just to like unpack the relationship <laughs> with your siblings. Um, not from the perspective of, um, you know, through through the lens of like uh, having a loss, as, you know, having a parental loss, but more of a like just the general what that role is like. Because <laughs> I think. <laughs> I do think that being the oldest daughter <laughs> in an immigrant family and you have younger siblings, <laughs> that role is so interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have experiences. We have bonded over this. <laughs> I feel like this needs to be a boozy brunch episode. Yeah. Uh, yes. you, you'll have to like you'll have to join us, Sherry, for it. It is it's very yeah. it's interesting mm. <laughs> to be continued <laughs> to be continued at our other podcast <laughs> over drinks <laughs> yes Haiti, thank you so much for not just coming and being on the show but also being vulnerable and sharing something that is obviously like with you in your heart and we'll probably 
be there. You know, it's important. And I appreciate you opening up and sharing that so um, vulnerably. Thank you both for having me on and allowing me to uh, just unload. <laughs> no, we, I, it was, um, it's, we get so caught up in the everyday of life that, um, you know, getting like the wind knocked out of us is just your body saying that like, oh, you've had a moment to pause and. Um, just like Sherry was alluding to that, like it was already there. It, it just had the opportunity to get out. So thank you for doing that with us. Yeah. Um, if people wanted to connect with you online, how would they find you? So I'm the co-host of Boozy Brunch podcast, like Barthi mentioned earlier. So you can, you can find me on Instagram at Boozy Brunch podcast cool. that's the easiest way we're on facebook too but instagram boozy brunch podcast. every bit everyone's instagram spot yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah great well now it's time for i feel I, I say this every time we need to have some sort of like drum roll or some sort of music <laughs> it's fire round <laughs> we fire might round. have to get like um we might have to get like manny to like create some music for us for yes. this yes <laughs> Uh, so Some kind this of is fireworks round. drum roll yeah there you go. that's it <laughs> flames yes. i don't know the sound of flames going up so this is a round of questions that barthi's going to ask you and and it's really just the the first answer that comes to mind um quick top of mind answer all right i am terrified even though i'm a regular <laughs> listener i've heard this done with other people i'm like ah <laughs> this is fun. This is a fun one. <laughs> All right. You ready for this? <laughs> no, but let's go. <laughs> uh, what are you afraid of? So many things. So many things. But I, I think the thing that sticks out the most is dying before my kids are um, like fully functioning adults. Mm -hmm. Because I know what it's like. Mm -hmm. And... I wouldn't want that for them. Yeah. Yeah. What gets you up in the morning? The sun. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say your daughters. <laughs> no, they have stopped coming into our room. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fill in the blank. Freedom is. priceless and unattainable <laughs> mm. you'll have to tell us more next episode <laughs> <laughs> um what are you reading listening to or watching right now oh so much <laughs> so i'm finishing this book called white like her about um a story of passing Mm -hmm. And I listen to Boozy, Boozy Brunch podcast, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I listen to you, ladies, on Holding Sharp Quarters. Oh, yay. Um, I recently started listening to Crime Junkie. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize for that one. No, that's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, Crime Junkie and Clockwork, which are all like all these podcasts about true crime and true crime mm-hmm. stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I find them interesting. Um, I'm watching Being Mary Jane. Oh, which yeah. yeah, which is an older show that mm-hmm. you turned yes. me on to. I was <laughs> kind of, I was kind of angry at it in the first like, mm-hmm. I don't know, two hours into it, but yeah. I got over it. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm always like reading multiple books and listening to a ton of stuff, whether it's on YouTube or you know podcasts and um, watch my share of tv here and there yeah yeah um and what's your uh (laughs) okay i have i have two questions here Uh what's your your first and second favorite curse words (laughs) first and second i think my first is coño okay (laughs) yeah i Yeah, I think that's definitely my first. I say it way too often. In fact, my kids have already repeated it. So that's how (laughs) I know that I say it way too often. Um, And the second one, and this one I have to be very mindful of, you know, make sure they're not around as fuck. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It just rolls off the tongue so easily. It's such a good one. (laughs) So good. Such a good one. And you can use it in so many different, like ways situations and so many yeah like it could have so many meanings yeah yeah satisfying yeah i think it's the most satisfying curse word it really is it is yeah yeah Yeah. but i love holding the f for a while (laughs) (laughs) that's what we should ask because the reason we put first and second is because everyone almost always says fuck and so it's like you know what's the second but i actually i'm wondering if the question is actually how do you like to say fuck you know like, yeah. <laughs> way to say fuck. there you go like what is it fuck and how do you say it yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so thank you so much for coming on our podcast and just again thank you for just being so open and vulnerable with us and sharing with us um, I imagine there are many people that can resonate with your story. Um, and like I said, we'll just have to continue the conversation of being the oldest sibling um, <laughs> on the Boozy Brunch podcast. Yes, <laughs> We'll have to have you come back here too and unfold something else next time. Oh, man. <laughs> Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Unfolding Sharp Corners. We consider this a community space where we can learn together. If you want to share your insights, questions, or feedback, we invite you to click the link in the episode description. We're on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Subscribe to the show to catch every new episode. And follow us on Instagram at Unfolding Sharp Corners. Make sure to leave a review so we can continue to explore more corners with you. See you soon.